Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos, and today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The wait is finally over. Football is here. It is back. And you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. It's Bears versus Giants this week. There's plenty to talk about. Props, lines, spreads, money lines, all that good stuff. So from game spreads and totals, team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take full advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses going on. Again, betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome to the pod, ladies and gentlemen. Today we are talking Bears versus Giants. It's already looking forward to week two. So we're bringing on Steven Rodriguez, the host of Believe in New York Football. Steven, thank you so much for coming on the pod. How are you feeling today? I feel all right. I feel whole again. I mentioned to my uh, listeners earlier in my episode that, listen, the Giants lost. It was gut-wrenching at times. But, you know, week one was enough for me to think football is back. But now it's all the way back. It takes one good heartbreak, one good, like, uplifting, like, we may actually win, and then it just gets taken from you to just really feel like, okay, this is what it's like. This is sports again. It, it just feels like everything's slowly coming back, and, and I'm happy about it, man. I, for you in Chicago, it's kind of similar, except you ended up on the, uh, on the right side of things, I guess. But it's still very apropos, right, where the basic – sense of Mitch Trubisky's entire career has been three quarters of awful one quarter that just keeps you coming back for more he's that golf shot on the back nine that like you just put perfectly 10 feet away from the green and you're like man I should play golf more often man I should root for Mitch Trubisky more often but you're right man football is back it gave us a little bit of everything this weekend a lot to talk about maybe we'll just start here Steven you know Giants played the Steelers last night pretty decent start you know what, just tell me, what did you like and what you didn't like from that game? What you didn't like might seem more obvious, but tell the listeners what you did like from your Giants last night. Well, so, believe it or not, I didn't like only a handful of things because I felt like I came in with no expectation, really. I, I think when you look at it from an outsider's perspective, second-year quarterback in a new offensive coordinator, you know, in a new system, new head coach, new D.C., I mean, completely new regime, a weird offseason that no one's really seen before. So for me, I mean, they aired some scrimmages here, but it wasn't real football. I was more looking forward to seeing what the whole Joe Judge regime would look like and that toughness. And I think I saw it. I think I saw it at least on the defensive side of the ball. They had a good game plan for Daniel Jones. They got the ball out fast. He protected the ball a lot better. He didn't fumble, which is great. He threw two picks, so I guess it's like kind of – pick and choose which you would rather. I think, you know, the picks will come. He's Eli Manning Jr. That's always going to happen. But, you know, he showed enough to me there against a Steelers defense that reminds me of two years ago, that Bears defense, that I think every single team that goes against the Steelers this year is going to have that trouble, man. That that D-line against an interchangeable offensive line that the Giants had with a rookie left tackle, I mean, we lost by 10 points. I mean, I made the sentiment that if this was the Giants last year, they would have gave up at half. We wouldn't have ever had the lead. I just think they caught a second win or they had a burst there, and you saw it on that 18-yard drive. They ended up just shooting themselves in the foot. They took so long to put together the drive and come away with nothing that the next drive they scored a touchdown. But by that time, you're out of it. You just have no more time to score. So I saw enough to be happy about. and. uh see life from and let's put it this way this is what i broke it down to everyone when you see the redskins on top of your division and you see the eagles and the cowboys just losing i mean losing by 10 points this is a silver lining for me i mean we're in the nfc east let's be real like for the steelers the giants are a team they gotta beat that's a team trying to make the super bowl and you got the ravens and an mvp in your division that you guys see twice so steelers that's a can't lose for the Giants, it wasn't a must win. It was more of a let's not get blown out. Let's come away healthy and let's analyze where we're at. And to me, there was plenty of growth for me to walk away from and say, hey, we got something here. This team looks different. We look like we could actually win more than freaking five games this season. 
A great way to know that it's still early in the season is that the Washington football team has as many wins as the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Yep. So uh, there's, still, there's still a lot to take back and look from a broad, broad lens. And, and I'm with you. You know, the 18-play drive, I was trying to do the math in my head. I'm like, is that even possible and still creating first downs at the same time? But, you know, the 18-play drive looked really nice. And you know what? Daniel Jones, as you mentioned, second-year quarterback, throwing a pick in the red zone you know, maybe holding the ball for about 0.7 seconds longer than he had to until Bud Dupree got to him. You know, that stuff's going to happen. I, I think it was his first red zone interception of his career. I mean, you got you to gotta pop that cherry at some point and sort of move on from there. And I, my question is, yeah, the Steelers defense, man, that pass rush, I think that's going to be a problem for a lot of different teams. And I, I want to hear what your thoughts are, but it sort of feels like you know, what, would, what grade would you give the Giants' offensive line in this game? Because that pass rush was fierce. I think it's going to be a problem for a lot of teams in the NFL. So can you really – can you put a sliding grade on that offensive line for the Giants? Because at times it looked like they were able to, you know, work a screen pass to Saquon for a big play, but they had a really hard time getting the running game going. Well, yeah. So in terms of run blocking, it's probably a hard D, maybe less. What, what Saquon Barkley has – six rushing yards. It's hard to give them anything above an F, honestly. But, hey, you know what? That's what the Giants kind of had going last year. It's the bed we lie in. Uh, that's the offensive line we have. We don't really have much else. If Nate Solder was there, it wouldn't be much better. That's something that you have to get going. And you saw Jason Garrett appear very obviously knowing that this offensive line is going to struggle against the Steelers to run the ball. That's why you had three tight end sets, two tight end sets, trying to help them block. The issue with the Giants is that you can do that, but you have Evan Ingram blocking, so that doesn't do anything for you. He's not going to block Bud Dupree. He's not going to block T.J. Watt. And, and he's the real, like, loser this game for me. He's on my loser list. He Listen, you got to pick one. You either got to catch ball, score touchdowns, or block if you're a tight end. And he was dropping passes. He ran a shitty route in the end zone in that opening drive. You picked and, door and he, three with penalties. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, he had the pass interference – those are drive killers, and so, look, and I was on my show talking about him as well as Saquon. Saquon had a really bad game blocking, too, in the backfield. And so it's very easy to show, you know, when an offensive line struggles to communicate. Cam Fleming and Nick Gates were picked on. I mean, this is why the Steelers are good. This is why they are who they are. They knew Nick Gates, our center, that was his first game starting. So what are you going to do? You're going to throw double A-gap blitzes. You're going to put the pressure on him to communicate. And you're going to bring it right in Daniel Jones's face. And it worked because that shit is not easy to just pick up. And when you don't have a preseason and you're just going against your same look and people who are going to do things differently, that's why preseasons help. That's why playing against other teams help. And so I think the Steelers were right and smart to do that. I was surprised more that they didn't do it earlier on. But I think once they realized that, hey, we can stop Saquon with freaking four guys, let's just send five or six every play. And the Giants probably can't move the ball at all. And they didn't. I mean, and that was my, another takeaway. It's like, how are you going to get on the Giants' O-line for pass blocking when you have a fierce Steelers line and it's third and 12? They obviously know you're passing the ball. You can't – you just can't expect them to hold blocks that long when you have a guy on the left side with 11 and a half sacks and the guy on the right side who was pretty much defensive player of the year last year. I, I just think – that's just you, you can't you can't you can't have it all. You really can't have it all. Who was plucking interceptions out of thin air, which was not Daniel Jones's fault. That's just an incredible play by T.J. Watt. And then you're on top of it, and you're really hitting on something too as well. You know, it seemed like every time they brought a cornerback, it seemed like they got home. And you know, you've got young, talented, offensively explosive players in Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram. But it's the little details, right? That's going to hold, I think, this team back. Everyone was so excited to see this Giants offense this year. But it's going to be those execution plays because if they can't do that, it's going to be snap and throw to the tight end for four or five yards, which they tried to do a couple of times just to pull the heat off of Daniel Jones for a couple of plays. Just give him a second to breathe there. And you're right, man. Maybe it isn't so much, you know, the offensive line is a little bit of a, a makeshift right now. They're trying to gel, find their chemistry, but it's kind of all hands on deck right now. And Saquon in the pass blocking was not impressive last night, in my opinion, either. I'm with you. Well, that's something he has to work on, and he knew it this offseason is something he had to work on. But the issue is the spellback they have for him back there is either Wayne Goldman or Deion Lewis, who you can't have back there to pass block. They're not going to be respected. So it's like, you know, I talk about this with my Giants friends and on my show and other shows. It's just that Saquon is a dynamic running back. But for the Giants, unfortunately, they ask him to do everything, and it's just 
he can't really. He, he, he's just as much of an all-around fantasy talent he is and phenomenal runner and playmaker he is, blocking in the backfield is something he's just not very good at. And so when a team knows, and this is something I talked about on my show, they're going to send a blitz because what's the best case scenario for Saquon? He leaks out of the backfield. Well, if you blow everything up, he can't, get, he can't leak out. Daniel Jones can't go through the progression reads. I mean, normally a check down is the last thing you look at. You have three seconds and Bud Dupree and TJ Watt in your face. Good luck. I, I, they had to set up that double screen. That was Saquon's biggest play, and they barely got that out. And so, you know, I would expect more things like that this upcoming week just to get Saquon in space. But, again, it's very predictable when he's in the game right now until they somehow generate a running offense, which they haven't. And it's incredible. I didn't even know Dan Lewis was on the Giants. Uh, fantasy watch, everybody. He's on the radar, ladies and gentlemen. So this has got me kind of scratching my head, and I want to bring this back to you. Is Do you find it a little curious, then, that the, the makeup of the running back room is Barkley, you know, Gallman, who honestly is a very similar player in terms of skill set. You know, obviously, Barkley is far superior talented-wise, but, you know, Gallman and Dion Lewis, it feels a bit of like a redundancy at the running back position. They don't seem to have somebody – it almost seems like they could have used a guy maybe like a Carlos Hyde or someone that's willing to stick their nose into the hip of a defensive lineman on a third down to give Daniel Jones a chance. You know, is that a frustrating thing for you as a Giants fan? It's, again, this, a lot of it is that you kind of have to lay in the bed you made here. I mean, Saquon is a guy that people expect to be a three-down back, and he can be, sure. And he, again, it's a glaring weakness in his game, and he wants to step it up. He wants to improve it. And I'm sure it's going to get better again. He looked really bad against a defense that clearly knew that was his weakness, and they were going to do everything to utilize the fact that they have an inch and they're going to take it. I mean, that's what a good defense does. They capitalize on things like that. He had decent blocks at time. For me, it's more of this is a little thing. It's just picking things up, you know, a delayed blitz from the safety. Instead of just helping your lineman and blocking no one, he was missing some of those late things that you'd expect him to pick up. And so – that's the stuff that's discouraging. I think he can pick it up, but in regards to your question, I'm not surprised it's like that because I think they expected, hey, we're going to have Saquon do all these things, three downs, and when we need to, Deion Lewis can get involved in the passing game. They gave him some handoffs. It's kind of like they knew this was a problem. They really counted on their guy to figure it out, and so far he hasn't. And it doesn't seem like it's a lack of willingness with Saquon. Like you said, it's something that he's working on. It just seems to be decision-making. Like, they had him confused several times. Like, they brought Mike Hilton, the cornerback, on a, on a blitz right there. And, and Barkley's like, I got a double-team Bud Dupree. I got a double-team Bud Dupree. And meanwhile, Hilton sneaks right on that inside and picks up that sack. You know, maybe that's just part of the growing pains of the position. I want to pivot over a little bit to this defense who, you know, revamped defense, new coaching staff. You know, new guys in there looked like, you know, guys like Lorenzo Carter was able to get home a couple of times. But again, it seemed like the secondary was a little bit of a problem for the Giants. You know, what was your take and what did you see from the Giants defense last night? Well, so this defense honestly impressed the heck out of me, being that we lost two starting corners or quote unquote starting corners. They would have been starting corners for the Giants. We lost two starting corners this offseason. You bring in Corey Ballantyne, who they tried to hide as long as possible and in a Patrick Graham defense, it's just hard to do that because a lot of it's man-to-man. -man. And I think they got exposed the most in the red zone on those crossing routes because he decided to do those all-out blitzes, keep man-to-man -man when it, it's just not going to happen. You can't do it all game, not against a good team, not against a guy like Big Ben who knows. I mean, Big Ben can read a man-to-man -man defense and know who's going to be open when, and those crossing routes were just being exposed. But with that said, Bradbury looked very good, and that's the guy who needed to look good. That's who they paid for. Logan Ryan is reassuring to me that they have him now because that's someone who wasn't on the team like two weeks ago. He's and new, right? Yeah, it's going to take some time, but he's a veteran presence. But him in the slot is a nice help, okay? So we're down Xavier McKinney, so what did that mean? Well, Darnay Holmes, a rookie as well, has to step up. A lot of these guys are just going trial by fire, but you know what? He was spotty, but for a rookie playing nickel, that he was blitzing, he was in man coverage. It's a lot. A Patrick Graham defense is a lot, especially when you're doing these unique, like everyone stands up at the line type of pickup defenses. Uh, he did all right. He was spotty. I, I think Jabril had a hard game. 
uh, at the safety position. Did he I, I finish the game? He walked off. Did he finish the game or did he get banged up towards the end? From what I saw, I'm pretty sure he finished the game. But to be honest, I, I couldn't tell you that last Steelers drive. I don't really know what happened. I was more anxious on the Giants trying to cover plus six. So I was looking at offense at that point where the defense. Uh, but, yeah, so overall, though, I liked our box. To be honest, the secondary will give me a headache the more you think about it. I'm just happy that Bradbury and Logan Ryan look good because those are the guys you're paying for. In regards to up front, that part of the scheme I really liked. I think it benefits a guy like Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence that everyone stands up. You don't really know where they're coming from. And both of them picked up a sack yesterday, which was huge. Carter looked strong off the edge, which was huge. And another guy we paid for, Blake Martinez, he's wearing the captain chest, uh, the captain symbol on his chest. And you know what? He really played like a leader yesterday. He was flying around. No one can question his tackling ability. Everyone wants to shit on him because he can't really cover. But he even did that all right. So, for me, this defense had a motor, and that's something they did not have last year. They did not have an identity. No one was scared to play the Giants, and I'm not saying that they are now. But defensively, they're slowly getting to the point where, I mean, you saw early on in the Steelers game. I mean, yeah, they figured him out, but it took Big Ben and an actual quality Super Bowl contender to do it. Maybe some of these, you know, not so well-off teams offensively won't be able to pick up on that so easy. I mean, we really were getting to Ben early in that game. He even got rattled up, had a little knee knee injury early on that looked like, you know, people were concerned about. He played through it, but they were getting pressure to him. They were uh, messing him up a little bit. It didn't – it wasn't consistent, but early on in that game, there were signs of life from the defense. The college game game day guys, uh, the announcers on the call, which I loved, by the way, we're definitely applauding the Giants defense early on for, you know, that motor that you're talking about right now, flying around the football, just looking like a different unit. And let's be honest, the Giants defense was one of the worst defenses in the NFL last year. So you're working from a place where you're definitely trying to make some incremental progress, which can be tangible and you can achieve probably pretty early on in the season. It was curious to see you're talking about all this inexperience on the defense and maybe that helps explain a little bit. It just felt like that they were just trying to keep the top on the the Steelers' offense the whole game, not get burned down the field. I don't even really think the Steelers took a lot of attempts down the field other than that Chase Claypool connection early on in the game. So they were able to get burned underneath a little bit, and they did keep the Steelers in front of them, which was which was a good thing. You know, I thought for the most part, you know, the, the running game, you know, fits and starts. It was kind of a grinded-out performance, but I thought you guys did did pretty well, and – you know, maybe that's what it's going to take, especially with some of these guys coming into their own is gaining that confidence. Keep the people in front of you, tackle, fly around the football a little bit. And, you know, the Steelers, you know, we're going to see how the Steelers go moving forward. That can easily be an AFC contender. So the Giants, for the most part, stayed in that game. I think you can definitely look at, you know, the two turnovers that, that happened, you know, something you just got to clean up moving forward. If you took those away, though, it's definitely a lot, a lot closer game than people would think. No, I'm glad you mentioned that too. The the running game, yes. Benny Snell finished with over 100 yards, but they were running out that game. They had the lead, so they definitely grinded that out. That was out. a grindsman effort of 104 yeah, yards. especially sure. with Connor going out, he became the only guy getting touches. So, yeah, I thought they did tackle well. I, I did think that they stopped the run really well. Here was what was bothering me, was that especially in the red zone, why not force Ben to throw the ball downfield more? You know, I think they felt comfortable in man because if he did throw it downfield, again, he only had the Chase Claypool play, which was really close. But I don't know why they wouldn't necessarily mix it up in terms of zone. Sure, maybe that benefits Ben and he could kind of pick apart his own better. But those touchdowns were very – it was just cookie cutter to me. They're rub routes. It's nothing extravagant. Our corners ran into each other on the James Washington touchdown. It, it like, if you're going to get beat, if you're going to surrender those touchdowns in a hard-fought game, it's just – it just rubbed you the wrong way that it was kind of that easy. You know, on third and six, they're just going to run in and out, and the slant's just going to be open because your corners don't give each other enough space. I feel like it could have been communicated a little bit better, and uh, I don't see why you wouldn't have Big Ben test his arm a little bit, especially in his first game back in, what, a year and a half? You know, actually throwing a touchdown pass? And that's the Steelers' bread and butter is those back shoulder throws, those quick rub slants, and, you know, it seems like they hit Deontay Johnson multiple times. And that's just going to be something the Giants will work towards in the future. You know, can you make those in-game adjustments? You know, maybe they were just thinking, hey, look, you know, we got our guys. Let's sort of stick to our plan and just keep playing solid fundamentals and hopefully make some sort of play, which eventually never came. Let's spin it forward, man. Week two, Giants travel to Chicago to play the Bears. 
How do you size up this matchup from a Giants perspective? I mean, I think both sides of the field probably feel like that they could pick up a win this week. How do you look at it? Yeah, definitely. I try to look back to the last two seasons. I think the Giants have played the Bears two of the last three years, if not both. And last year, it got close late. It took Daniel Jones a little bit later in Chicago to get himself going. I think it still ended up as a a one-possession game. I will say this. um, Like you said earlier, Mitch Trubisky is still the quarterback, so it's kind of who's going to come? Which Mitch is going to come? I think that's going to matter a lot for the Bears. But in terms of just what the Giants have to worry about, the Bears' defense is no joke. Uh, I know they're not as strong and overpowering as they were a few years back or whatever. They're still talented. They still have everyone there. There is not much different from what I understand. Akeem Hicks is still playing. Khalil Mack still on the line. So I can confirm I, that that is true. Yeah, so as long as that's the case, the same thing is going to be true this game. I feel Danny can be fine if he takes the ball over. The game plan's got to be to get Saquon over freaking 10 yards rushing. I mean, let's be real. We scored on a big play-action bomb against Pittsburgh for the first touchdown, and we had no run game. Do you know how strong a play-action could be if you actually run the ball, I mean, successfully? So that's going to be the target, but it's really that offensive line, dude. I I think it's that in a nutshell. That's what the Giants have to worry about. The defense is probably going to send the pressure as, you know, in, in a similar fashion as they did to Pittsburgh. I know. Chicago up front isn't anything too spectacular. So they'll definitely try to get to Mitch and see what he can do with his legs a little bit more. But I think this game is one with the Giants offensive line and what they can do with Saquon, because if they can't contain the pass rush or unique blitzes again, it's going to be a very similar tight kind of ugly looking game, you know, throughout. I think it could be an ugly game for sure. Definitely looking at the Giants offensive line, but let me tell you something right now, you know, the bears defense, They've got the names, they got the reputation, they got the respect, but heading into week two, they got a lot to prove, man. That week one game versus the Lions was brutal. It was not what we expected at all, and it wasn't just about the points and the yard. I mean, we gave up over 400 yards of offense, not going to cut it, gave up over 150 yards rushing, not going to cut it. We barely touched Stafford in that game, so that's what I'm definitely looking at. I mean, I'm with you in theory. I'm looking at the Giants offensive line and I'm seeing opportunity as a Bears fan. But at the same time, you know, it is a little bit of let's see what it looks like because it was it was as quiet as quiet gets. You know, without Robert Quinn in the lineup, they double teamed Khalil Mack. A lot of people in Chicago now are having these polarizing takes of did Khalil Mack show up in this game or was, you know, the old he was held. He was double teamed over and over and over again. So I'm looking at that. And then honestly, from the Saquon Barkley perspective, definitely going to be really interesting to see what happens. We don't necessarily blitz the way the Steelers do. We don't love bringing, you know, we don't love bringing a lot of cornerbacks. We don't like blitzing that often. We like, it's like running with our front guys and just going from there. So it's really going to come down to gap control with our linebackers. I'm terrified of the Saquon Barkley screen pass. It is just something where if we're not disciplined enough and if it happens in the first or second quarter, we're not getting to the quarterback. We start bringing more pressure. You guys can burn us on that so, so, so easily. And I'm definitely looking at a situation where it could be, it might come down to the big plays in the game between two quarterbacks where Daniel Jones still learning the position a little bit, but can make plays has weapons and Mitch Trubisky, not necessarily known for Mr. Consistency right now. So it's, how hot can he get? What streak can he get on? And what kind of plays can he put on the board? And it could turn into kind of an ugly game that comes down to these four or five plays that really make the difference. Yeah, definitely like in the second half, like two, two three plays can really just dictate what this game is going to be. Two notes I have to you, though, because I saw this whole – everyone loves to watch people's Instagram, so I'm sure you heard about the Allen Robinson thing this morning. This morning, but, yes. So I know he's on his last year of his deal – And for the Bears, that would be huge. I mean, if you mean to tell me that the Bears' number one receiver, I mean, he's not hurt, so he's probably still going to show up. But if he decides to hold out, who knows? Whatever. Just speculatory. But Allen Robinson's a big piece of that offense. And that's one less thing to worry about. I think the Giants would rather you have to try to run the ball in between, which, again, they did a decent job at. Yeah, they surrendered over 100 yards. But the secondary is very clearly the weaker part of this team. They would rather the Bears run the ball. That's probably the style of game they would rather. So that's something to monitor. But here's my question for the defense, because as I watched the uh, Broncos game yesterday, I'm looking at your boy Vic Fangio over there, 
And look, he is a very good defensive coach. He's not a great head coach right now, and that's apparent. But do you think that's a big downside on this Bears team right now? I'm not sure who your defensive coordinator is, but I just know it's not him anymore, and that's really where the success came from for a while. It's Chuck Pagano is our defensive coordinator, and and I, here's what I'll say about that is that we have, most part, by and large, the same pieces. We have the Khalil Mack. We have the Keem Hicks. We got Eddie Jackson, so on and so forth. The difference is Vic Fangio had this – sixth sense he had the, the hairs on the back of his neck would would prick up at just these particular right times and it wasn't necessarily third down situations but he was so great at figuring out the right look and the right moment to you know in 2018 we had all those turnovers a lot of that credit went to Vic Fangio just where all of a sudden they would just the Bears would show a look that just confused the offense or confused the opponent or in a situation where he was also really great at switching up the coverages or just switching up the alignments seconds before pre-snap. And Vic Fangio is big on that where, you know, you're going to seem like it's not necessarily, Hey, I'm blitzing. I'm pulling back. It's more about, Hey, I'm starting off in one place. And by the time you snap it, I'm in center field. And it just totally changes the way that they go through their progressions and look. So it's just these little wrinkles, the way that they would confuse people. And it's definitely missing. I'll be honest with you. Chuck Pagano is probably more of a, Hey, just, guess when we're going to bring the extra guy and bring the heat, you know, guess when we're going to bring a nickel blitz situation. He's a little bit more of a, Hey, I trust these guys. Just let them go out and let, you know, let the horses run kind of dude. But I do want to comment on this Allen Robinson thing. Let's timestamp this real quick is Tuesday afternoon. Just so we all get it on the level here. We don't know if he's showing off to practice today or not, but basically here's the situation from my eyes. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. He's 27 years old. The Bears gave him a lot of money coming off an ACL surgery, so you would think that there'd be some goodwill engendered. But he's wanted a contract extension all along. He missed a lot of practices in training camp with an ankle, a.k.a. you know I'm not going to hold out, but I'm also probably not going to really practice either. Balled out pretty well in week one, played pretty well, and it just seems like contract extensions are stalled. And the part that I can't really understand is I don't know a lot of teams that like negotiating within a season a contract extension i think for some teams they feel like that that's a bad precedent to send so i don't understand the message by pulling all your bear stuff off social media other than to piss off bears fans and get us all riled up and angered i mean we're at a point now in 2020 Stephen, where it doesn't take much to push anybody over the edge with really anything right now and look i bet alan robinson wants to get paid obj money 65 million guaranteed I don't know if he's worth that. You know, I think a three-year deal, something close to that makes sense. $45 million guaranteed. Sure, why not? But, you know, pulling all your Bears social media out, I'm happy for all the beat writers out there because now they can write, you know, Allen Robinson to blank, Patriots? Ah, my article's done for Tuesday. I feel really good about that, but good for them. Well, you can't take that one for me. They're trying to trade OBJ, apparently. That's what the Browns said, and I said the – OBJ is going to the Patriots. They can't both go to the Patriots. But <laughs> exactly. that's, that's the landing spot for any receiver. I'm just like, all right, send them to the Patriots for nothing. God, just take them. They already, these writers already have their lead paragraph typed out already. And then it's just about filling in the blanks afterwards. And it all starts with, would the Patriots be interested? Keep in mind, they don't have a second round pick this year because they traded Muhammad Sanu last year. So just saying, you know, we'll see what their capital is like. And I find, it, I find it very interesting. Allen Robinson's been a great player and been a great teammate, and we absolutely love him here in Chicago. To see him doing this, it's not so much that we're angry at Allen Robinson. I think we're just kind of scared. And the Bears have been known to pinch pennies in the past, so we're kind of having a little bit of a triggered reaction to the frugal nature of the organization combined with not paying our guy who we need out there. And – Let's be real. If he doesn't end the season with the contract, he will be a free agent and he probably will not be on the Bears next year. Yeah, and I, in my opinion, I know a lot of people who really like Allen Robinson. As long as he stays healthy, he's going to get paid at the end of this year. Let's put it that way. Someone will pay him. And uh, I think he's obviously the standout guy on that receiving core. Anthony Miller appeared again somehow, finally. I don't, I'm not going to write home about it because I am not an Anthony Miller truther at all. I literally was on the record saying, this isn't it. I'm not doing it again. Like, I'm over it. I'm so over Anthony Miller. Like, He's everyone's like, oh, wait, just wait one more year. It's like, oh, yeah. Nah, week one, he was the guy at the bar who doesn't talk to anyone all night. And then 20 minutes before last call, he starts hitting on everyone. Yep. And, and oh, listen, literally, Eddie, the, dude, the dude balled out in the fourth quarter. 
no doubt. But and and to be fair, I think he only maybe had two targets heading into the fourth quarter. But a guy that we would love to see more consistency with, a dude that has no problem catching a 12-yard pass and barking at every single defensive opponent and letting him know that he just caught that 12-yard pass. I wish we would just kind of – he would button that up a little bit. Not to sound conservative, but honestly, like what has the dude done in the league? I would just prefer that he just keeps trying to find that end zone and, and finding the time in the end zone to celebrate. But listen, the truth is they're going to come out because if Allen Robinson doesn't play, everyone's going to say, start Anthony Miller, and I'm just going to be like, no. But, you know, to your point, I wanted to roll back to Fangio real quick because what you were saying is essentially what I was hinting at. You know, in my head, I still think the Bears are doing those things, and I think that's a key to getting the Giants out of sorts. I think if one thing Daniel Jones is very good at and something he got away from Eli, the guy preps, he studies film, and he knows blitzes. He picks him up. And when he gets confused, that's when he gets flustered. He rolls to his left. He does some dumb things. So in terms of football IQ, Daniel Jones has got that. So if you're just going to send regular nickel blitz and just hope your four guys are going to get after it, hey, you, if your four guys can get home and stop the run, like I said, I think the Steelers realized that early on. It's like, okay, we can stop this with four guys. We can send now this guy and really change things up. If the Bears can do that, go ahead, you know, better to you. I just think the key would be to mix things up against the Giants because once things start getting crazy and you, again, put Saquon in a position or a tight end in a position to actually pick up a guy coming in late, that's when you'll be able to get to the offense a little bit better than if you show a pre-snap or, like, if it's a little too predictable, Daniel Jones is good enough that he can pick that apart and get the ball out quick enough, which is something they were doing all game, last game. Uh, against the Steelers they were getting the ball out of his hands fast so you're not going to have much time to get there unless you blow up that line of scrimmage right off the rip and the curious thing that I'm ready to watch between Bears and Giants coming up is you know I don't think you're going to see a lot of those those quick little slants from the Bears that's not really something that we love to do a whole lot and I do think we might actually attempt to take some shots down the field so then it becomes the mathematical equation of how long does Trubisky have in the pocket versus your guys pass rush which let's be honest look pretty decent and, well, you know, whether the ball, the Bears can be able to push the ball downfield and whether you guys would be able to get home, I think that that could be also something that could really, you know, turn into perhaps a game changer for either side as well. I just want you to know, too, though, that I am a guy that likes Mitch Trubisky just because he gets shitted on all the time. Like, oh, it's, it, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough. It's almost, it's almost a game now. It's mm. almost funner to figure out the snarky thing to say about him other than to – at least try and work towards figuring out who he actually is. I mean, it's so funny that the guy literally lit the world on fire in the fourth quarter, came back from a 17-point deficit with 21 fourth-quarter points to save what was a terrible week one outing. And he does it, he's not really getting any credit. It's more side-eye than it is either relief or pat on the back. And that's kind of where we're at with him. I think everyone wants him to be Patrick Mahomes. Well, guess what? He's not. He's not Patrick Mahomes, and that's okay. There's only maybe three or four quarterbacks in the league that can even maybe sniff that elite area. Anyways, you don't have – and Daniel Jones, too, he doesn't have to be the greatest quarterback in the world to have a successful football team. I think people get that confused all the time, and, and that's why Trubisky definitely gets dragged through the mud very, very often. Well, because my thing is, and a lot of the people I talk to, they were all just like, Nick Foles, it's his job, it's his job. And I'm just like, no, it's not. Look, and to be honest, you are a Bears fan, so you would get this. Listen, you know what happened. You know they traded up for him. You know who they passed on at this point. This is his last year. Whether they give him the option or not is up to them. So what are you going to do? Bench him for Nick Foles? Then you get nothing. There's no what could have been. You can't bring him back after you start Nick Foles. You can start Trubisky and bring Nick Foles in. And yep. then you that's the combo you want. You can't do it the other way around. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, keep going, please. No, yeah. Well, my thing was, I was like, don't be surprised if Mitch has more starts than Nick Foles. I said, he's going to start the year, which they fought me on, and I ended up being right on, because it's exactly that. And I said, listen, could he be subbed out? Could Mitch get hurt? And Foles, Yeah, but there's no way, even the Bears, there's too much on the line all around there for you to just say, we're done with Mitch. We can't. No, you got one more year out of him. You have to, have to get what you can out of him. Because if not, it's only going to look worse. It, it already looks bad. Yeah, you have to salvage it. Because say what you want, but if that defense performs to what it could have been, you guys were a double doink away from advancing in the postseason and being a team that 
can, you know, make a run. And Mitch is that guy that, like you said, we saw it in Detroit. It's not going to look pretty. But bam, just like that, he could turn it on and he can do enough for the Bears to win. And to your point, he's not going to be Mahomes. But can he be a Bears quarterback that turns out to win some games and advance you guys far in the postseason? He's been really close before, so I don't see why he can't do it again. And I'm really glad you're saying this because it's just nice to hear some outside perspectives with some rationality attached to it. And that's the curse of the Bears quarterback, right, where a lot of people aren't going to remember that, you know, Jay Cutler led a fantastic 70-plus yard drive to go up on the Packers to win the NFC North. Oh, Rodgers gets the ball back, and then he throws to Randall Cobb, and Randall Cobb, you know, Rodgers is the hero in that game. Go to that Eagles game. Everyone talks about the double doink, but – and look, you know, the offense looked terrible most of that game. But again, Trubisky on the final drive led the team down the field and scored what would have become the game-winning field goal if it wasn't for the double doink. And we, that's, the, that's how narratives switch mm-hmm. so quickly. And I get it. We, we, are, we, are, we are completely traumatized by the quarterback position in Chicago. So that, those emotional scars continue on to no matter who's behind center. But you're right, man. I mean, and here's the deal. I think Trubisky probably, you know, Foles sees the field because Trubisky gets hurt before there's ineffectiveness. And I'm not saying that because I think Trubisky is going to be awesome, but more because Trubisky gets hurt. It's happened every single season. He can't play 16 full games. They want him to run the football and use his legs. That's part of his arsenal. And when he does that, he gets hurt. And that's why we have Nick Foles. And we'll see what happens, but the Bears have, you know, that $20.5 million option on Trubisky for next year. They're not signing that. It, it, what, what, what would it take? 30 touchdowns from Trubisky this year? That's a tall ask. So what we're sort of looking at right now is we're playing out this season, seeing what we've got. You know, if Trubisky wants to stick around, it would, it would have to be a team-friendly deal. Other than that, we got Nick Foles at $16 million for next year. And then we roll it back and hopefully, you know, get our first-round draft pick back and start looking back. And we start that clock all over again, that quarterback clock. So I think mm-hmm. the situation's a lot more fluid than people think. But I'm with you. I'm glad that they did at least. I'm glad that Trubisky at least played enough in training camp to give them the starting job. And now here we are. And, and hopefully we can move forward with him. And let's be honest, Trubisky's legs, he gives a little bit more when he plays well than Nick Foles would. And that's just the truth. Well, listen, and, and this is what I had told everyone because the rumor was, well, Foles is out playing Trubisky. I was like, that doesn't matter if he's out playing Trubisky in training camp. I'm sorry. They're going to start Mitch because to the point you said, you can't start, you know, start Foles and bring Mitch back in. But my other point was Foles just signed a huge deal. Was going to be the next quarterback of Jacksonville. That was all set in stone. And what happened in a game? One game he didn't even make it. But this happened in Philly the first time. Foles was set to take over. And what happened? He got hurt. And then they go through the cycle. And then he came back and won the Super Bowl. Everyone likes to forget that. Again, narratives. Foles is a Super Bowl hero now because he – he can, he's a baller in the playoffs. Well, that's great, but he's got to get there first. And I was like, okay, Foles is a guy you want on your side if you do have Mitch as your quarterback. Why? Because if your team's good enough to get to the playoffs, then fucking start Foles if you're that worried. But, like, you have to start Mitch this last season. You don't have to pay him next year. Fine. But while he's on your team, you have to utilize it. And to your point, that's what makes him such a good quarterback, in my opinion. He doesn't use his leg, uh, legs enough, and that's a sneaky ability he has. And meanwhile, you know, the deal with the Bears is they got to win some football games this year or, you know, Ryan Pace could be gone. I know Matt Nagy has a 20-12 and 12 overall record as the Bears, but there is a little bit of heat on that seat with Matt Nagy, and Trubisky could be gone too as well. I always look at quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are similar to pitchers for me. And the way that I look at that is, you know, we had the backup Chase Daniel last year, and he comes in for one game, plays great, and we're like, why can't we do this all the time? Well, you know, the next week after that, he sucks. You saw that in the Giants game, that he was absolutely brutal. I think it was two seasons ago he came in. You Mm -hmm. know, he's a pitcher with a pitch count. He's a relief pitcher. He can only go out there and be effective for so long, and I consider that the same with Nick Foles, where, you know, Nick Foles is, you know, pick any veteran starter right now, the John Lesters of the world. He can make, make it four or five innings, give you a quality, quality pitching, and then you got to get them out of there. And there's only a few guys like the Mahomes, the Watsons, you know what I mean? There's only so many guys, Russell Wilson's. Those are the guys that go nine innings. Those are the aces of the staff. They're all different kinds of pitchers in the world. Not every single pitcher needs to be an ace. And I think Mitch Trubisky right now, 
is the guy that the scouts are like, his ceiling is a possible number two, number three starter. But, you know, there's times he goes out there and looks like a five. There's times he goes out there and maybe pitches himself out of the rotation. Mm-hmm. And we've got to look at these things a little bit differently. You know, Nick Foles, giving that, all that money to him from Jacksonville was just insane, thinking that all of a sudden he was going to become that ace of the staff when maybe he's just more of an innings eater. You know, you feel, you feel my analogy here happening? Oh, no, absolutely. I, well, I called Foles' deal the Joe Flacco deal. It, it's beautiful. I love it every time. A guy – wins the Super Bowl on the heels of, like, a team, like an actual good team, but the quarterback gets all the praise, and they pay him, and they're like, oh, he wasn't that good. We got, like, yeah, obviously. (laughs) Look at the other – yeah, Joe Flacco, let's give him $150 million. You had Ray Lewis and Ed Reed on your defense, guy. Come on. Like, I don't understand it, but, like, I get it's the business of football. And you know what? It's crazy that quarterbacks do get pitcher money. It, it's it's like they get handled the same. You know what I mean? They get the big deal, but a good pitcher really isn't that consistent. Not year in and year out, or like not the, the longevity isn't always there. Not everyone can be a Jacob Degrom. You know, it, it's uh it's really just an anomaly at that point. I mean, you're you're wearing the White Sox hat. Look at Keuchel, or or, or you know Dallas. He, he he had a great Cy Young season with Houston. Didn't keep it up, but sometimes the change of scenery helps. Everyone's different. Everyone's different, and these guys, especially quarterbacks situation matters and i think the situation for the bears actually benefits Foles, but they got to bring him in later they can't bring him in yet <laughs> well and, and the market the market and getting what you paid for is obviously they're two different conversations but mm-hmm. agents and obviously players unions they want to kind of bring those all together where if you're a starting quarterback you make 20 million no matter what mm-hmm. happens end of discussion let's roll it to the actual game itself believe in betting chicago here i believe the bears right now are five and a half point favorites at home right now I mean, I, I'm going to start talking myself into how the Bears get a win in week two, but I do not like that number right now. I see this to be a lot closer game than that. So I am, I am pounding, you know, I'm pounding the spread right now. Uh, the Giants to cover for sure. How do you feel about that number? I like the spread, and I said it on my show, though. I'm going to take it one further. I don't bet on Giants games. I am preferencing that with, you know, before I say I'm taking the Giants money line. But I am. I'm taking the Giants money line here. Um, probably both. I think the spread is a better play, but – I just like the Giants to win their first game here. They're infamously slow starters just as a franchise. Um, I just have a glimpse of optimism. And, and yes, the Bears had that late fourth quarter heroic there. But my thinking is Daniel Jones could put together some hell of a fourth quarter drives himself. And he put together a heck of a drive. And if it really comes down to that, I just trust in the guys. I trust Daniel Jones can put together a good enough series or get the win done for the Giants when they need it. I, with that said, this is coming down to the end of the game. This is coming down probably fourth quarter. I just have this inkling after losing to the Bears these last couple of times in the matters that they did. This has got – listen, every dog has its day. I just think it's time for the Giants to finally beat the Bears, especially after – I just want you to know, two years ago I was at the home game that you guys forced overtime and I think beat us in. For no reason. The Giants were out of the it. The Tariq Cohen pass. Yes, the Tariq Cohen pass. <laughs> the Tariq Cohen game. I think he had like 40 points that game. That was also, though, for me, that was a Saquon hurdle game. That infamous picture when he hurdled. Uh, That's game right. And he uh, slapped his back. So, anyways, the Giants and Bears have uh, – it's, it's either a, a barn burner, it's either an ugly shootout, or just an ugly running game. I don't know which of those we're going to get, so stay away from that total. But – I, I like the Giants. I like the Giants with the points here. I'm looking forward to uh, the matchup. It's a it's a game both teams definitely want to win, so it's not going to be easy. Def, definitely both teams need it. And as you said, Giants and Bears the last couple seasons, don't tell me that this isn't going to be entertaining mm. because I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it as well where I definitely think there's going to be some mistakes. I think there can be some big plays. It could come down to who executes in the moment, and I think that there are questions with both of these teams right now about who perhaps has the edge on that side. And I definitely see a situation where it can come down to those final moments too as well. I mean, Daniel Jones is making his way in this league. I'm not going to go ahead and say that he's an elite quarterback yet, but I've liked what I've seen from him for a young quarterback. You know, you mentioned what he's been able to do with the Blitz. Very impressive on that front. Him and Darius Slayton had a really nice thing going last night, so I think that can be another situation. Real quick, you know, Golden Tate, what do you think his status will be heading into week two? Do you think he plays, or do you think it's going to be questionable, questionable, and we're just going to have to see 
you know, whether he's full participation by Thursday. So they kind of played everyone out and the Giants shot themselves in the foot with this because they have plenty of guys on the practice squad. So they made it seem like Golden Tate was going to suit up or play. They made it like a questionable call game time decision, but then they ruled him out game time and they kind of just stuck with like, you know, like the Gunners or the special teams guy that CJ board there who wouldn't be their, you know, their choice at wide receiver three. So uh, if Golden Tate doesn't play, I wouldn't expect the same core out there. I would expect a guy like, maybe Austin Mack, Corey Coleman, or there's, there's a bunch of other guys that can bring up from the practice squad. I don't know what's going on with Golden Tate. Um, it's just if there's anything I've learned, and it's a lower body injury, a guy at his age, they probably don't want to push it. And, you know, to your point, yeah, you don't want it to be in one-man army with him and Darius Slayton, but the same point, they got Sterling Shepard underneath too, and he plays a very Golden Tate-like role, and he can do that from the slot. So, you know, I, I'm not 100%. They don't have a lot of clarity on it. But if I had to say they, they might not play him because I don't think they're going to be in a rush to bring him back. I think last year they saw what he was able to do when, they, when he came back. He was productive enough. Uh, he was suspended, granted, for that reason. But they missed four games without him. So I think if they missed two games, they wouldn't be killing themselves because I think they feel in a good enough spot with Shep and, uh, you know, Darius Slayton that, hey, you know, this receiving core could – do something if you know golden tate doesn't play they don't need him he would help but they don't need him yeah it has not been a smooth ride since he's come over to play for the giants as a free agent a couple years ago we're gonna get you here out of here on this for me personally the thing that concerns me the most as a bears fan is our defensive line played so poorly in week one that i think we i'm worried that we might even overcompensate to get that engine running a little bit quicker than we want. And so I'm concerned about guys like Sterling Shepard and Saquon, Daniel Jones figuring out a way to beat the blitz. And all of a sudden, you know, those guys are so talented, especially Saquon. If you don't have three guys around him, you're going to have a hard time tackling him. So if he gets in open space, it's going to be a problem. And I just feel like that we're going to have some sort of overcorrection early on by the Bears defense trying to get home. Daniel Jones spots that out, maybe gets the ball out of his hands, and we give up some big plays by trying to get to the quarterback maybe a little bit too hard. And I think that that can be an issue for the defense. That's probably my biggest concern right now. As a Giants fan heading in this game from, you know, playing the Bears, what concerns you the most about facing the Bears in week two? Well, I mean, I had mentioned that offensive line. And to your point real quick, you said you're scared about that screen pass. And if they do overcompensate and try to blitz a little too much, I mean, that's exactly what the Steelers did. And granted, it was only a 38-yard play against the Steelers. But you're right. I mean, that could very easily break out and be way bigger of a play, you know, given the situation. So um, I think the Giants know they're going to get blitzed because of their offensive line. And I think they're going to look to improve even more on those three tight end sets and those screens that they kind of utilize in the Steelers that had some success, not, not in the running game, uh, not much success. But, you know, in terms of screens and those dump off passes, I wouldn't be surprised if I see those or some play action passes. For the Giants, what I'm most worried about Dude, I'm going to be honest, that turnovers, the turnovers. I'm worried that a Daniel Jones turnover might lead to six for the Bears. Um, I know that's something that hasn't happened. You know, that's two years in the past. But look, we got bailed out in the fact that uh, those, you know, turnovers didn't exactly go for six. One of them resulted in a touchdown, though. So, like, we don't capitalize on our turnovers. We tend to get three and whatnot. We can't afford to have a turnover and that turn into six or seven against the Bears just can't happen because the way this offense works, I I just think you saw it in the 18 yard drive. It's, you know, in its best. I think Jason Garrett's offense in a perfect world is going to be kind of a three down offense. They want to run the ball. They want to see how things look and they want to wait to catch the defense slipping. If it's less great, but they're going to, they're going to dink and dunk with this offense right now. They don't want Danny Dimes to take too many chances or be in the pocket too long because he holds the ball. So it's going to be fast. It's going to be quick passes. As long as he doesn't undercut one of those out routes or the slants and it just gets, you know, undermined by like Eddie Jackson and taken to the house, they should be okay. This will be a close game. I'm just worried about one of those swings or even I was going to say special teams, but then I remember Joe judge is now our special teams coordinator. And if they gave up a special team touchdown, I do not want to know what practice is like over in East Rutherford. That, that cannot be a fun setting to be a part of if Terry Cohen returns a punt to the house. But uh, yeah, I'm more worried about a big play on the defense there by the Bears because yeah, if sacks aren't enough, like strip fumble, we've seen Khalil do it before. It could really be anything, but uh, those are things that 
change games for the Giants. It puts them right behind the eight ball and kind of flusters everything up. So that's it. <laughs> that would be the biggest one. Bears-Giants week two, two teams that are still sort of finding their way a little bit. So it's going to be an interesting mystery box of a game. Not really sure what we're going to get, but we're pretty sure it's going to be entertaining based on some of the performances these two teams have had against each other the last couple of years. Steven Rodriguez, the host of Believe in New York Football. Thank you so much for joining me, man. Really, really fun having you on, dude. And uh, I hope you had a good time. Hopefully you can come back sometime. Even if we're not just talking Giants football, hopefully we can come back and talk some betting spreads. Yeah, Joey, I need friends to talk gambling with. I feel like sometimes I'm speaking a different language to people. They, they don't understand what I'm saying. But, like, I need someone to talk me down the money line sometimes. So I, I told my listeners, and they know this, but I had the Bengals and the Broncos uh, this last Sunday and Monday. We take the spread. We're fine. Those are cashes. But here I am, a sucker, waiting for a field goal with time expiring. and with a guy who missed four field goals all night long, finally puts one through the uprights. Well, then, and, and, then, then, the a, and then an offensive pass interference penalty at the Bengals. He pulled the hammy. Come on, guy. It was like a 30-yard field goal. It's just – and you want to know what hurts more? I'm just a fan of football. Like, that would have been Joe Burrow's coming out party. He led a fantastic drive. Should have been a game-winning touchdown. Fine. But he would have won that game. They should have won that game. And it's just like – well, now, you know, I'm screwed from both ends. I, I, don't, I didn't get the ending or the Joe Burrow performance I expected, and we lost money. So, <laughs> I, I, I don't have the stats, but I just have a feeling that Joe Burrow is going to light the Browns on fire this Thursday. I think it's I, his breakout coming out party, and I think we'll be talking more about Joe Burrow's ascendance than we are, you know, the continuing slide of Baker Mayfield. My best bet for that game is the over at 44. I, I think, you know, there's uncertainty with the Browns. Who knows what they're going to do? But, hey, you'd like to think that offense is competent. I believe in Joe Burrow and that offense for sure. I don't really know too much about their defense in terms of, like, studs. Yeah, they held the Chargers up, but, you know, that doesn't say much. 44 is a low number to me, man. Uh, I think the, a 24-21 Thursday night game between the two is very likely, and that even if it's by a point, I – People sleep on Joe Burrow. Why, I don't know. But I think you saw enough against the Chargers, who have a good defense, by the way. Um, you saw enough from him to kind of buy in and believe he can do something. So I'm looking forward to that Thursday night game, too. Steven Rodriguez, thank you so much for coming on the pod, man. Please come back, man. I had a really great time talking to you. This was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. This episode was brought to you by BetOnline.ag. So head to BetOnline today and get a free sign-up bonus and have yourself a little fun. You know, wet your beak a little bit on some Bengals and Browns. Well, we won't get mad at you. And, of course, Giants and Bears coming up this Sunday in Week 2. Again, thank you so much for listening to the pod, you guys. We're going to be coming back with some more Bears talk this week and maybe a little fantasy football. Until then... Be well, be safe, be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.